Well, I am glad to be back, and I'm so thankful for my friend Daniel Flores, hopefully someone who's becoming your friend as well. Um, Last Sunday, uh, I was out of town with my oldest son, and we were driving, and I was able to get the stream on uh, after we had done some activity, just just the final like 10 minutes of of the service, and then once the sermon got put online, I was able to go back and listen. And uh, if you were here, it it was great. It was a wonderful challenge and encouragement. Uh, out of Hebrews 4, and uh, I'm just, I'm blessed by Daniel, and I'm thankful that uh, he uh, was able to share. So today, we, we return again, and it is, as Lori mentioned, the Advent season. I think we know this. I think you know this. It's the second Sunday of Advent, uh, but we are going to continue in Hebrews for today, uh, Lord willing, next week as well, and then on the 19th, we will um, take a little break from Hebrews and, and specifically look at Christmas and, and those things. But it's, it's all connected. I mean, we're, we're celebrating and worshiping God who came in the flesh. The second person of the Godhead came in the flesh at Christmas, right? And, and uh, we're, we're going to look at more of that today and what, what he did in coming. And so it is, it is in that sense still Christmas-themed. Um, but today, Hebrews 4. And our text is going to be 14 to 16. I'm going to read a little bit before that. Just I want to get some of that thought of the writer. Again, this is his sermonic letter, as I've mentioned on these weeks. Um, It's very much a letter to a specific group of people, although different than a lot of the letters in our Bible. We don't have a specific uh, to the saints at, you know, some city or a person. We don't don't have that. We don't have um, at the beginning who it was written by. It's not the Apostle Paul, um, although some have argued over the years for that. We, We just don't know. There's questions surrounding who wrote Hebrews and who the recipients are, uh, but it's very much a letter. There's personal elements. We see them, in fact, uh, in our text today, uh, but it's a sermon. It really is. It's this glorious um, exaltation and exhortation, uh, exalting the Lord Jesus. He is greater. That's our theme of this letter. Uh, he's greater than than Moses and Joshua, as you heard last week, and, and the old covenant and the high priest and everything, uh, and all of it really was pointing to him. And so this, this letter is reminding us and calling us to that truth that Jesus is greater. All the while, it's a letter um, encouraging and exhorting us to persevere, to, to continue on in the faith. And so there's these warnings. We don't have one today, but, but he was, has that element in it. And so uh, would you stand? I said I would have you stand once more as we read uh, our text for today. And I'm going to, again, um, get to our passage, which is 4, 14 to 16, but I'm going to start at verse 9. So if you're following along, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed 
through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated, and I'm going to pray as we start. So, Father in heaven, I pray on the second Sunday of Advent that your peace, the peace that comes from being right with you through Christ, the peace that comes from your indwelling presence, the peace that comes from your promises, the peace that comes from you. May it be real to us today, regardless of our circumstances. And may your word now speak and and be living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword piercing beneath the surface to the, the soul, which is what we need. Please give us ears to hear. May the soul our souls, our, our, our hearts be like good soil, ready to hear from the word we pray against the evil one wanting to snatch it away. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this, this text, verses 14 through 16, is uh, once again one of those transitional texts. It, it's, it's like a hinge uh, of, of a doorway that both looks back at things that we've looked at and heard so far, a lot of the same themes, but it also is opening us up and leading us toward the central section of Hebrews. Really, chapter 4 through chapter 10 are all on this theme of the high priesthood of Jesus. I was talking with another pastor who uh, is preaching through Hebrews, and we were kind of joking about a lot of these same things keep coming back, and you think you've talked about Jesus the high priest, boom, and here it is again, and so there's more to look at and to plummet, but the reality is we we need this, even if we've heard these things, and we, we have. We've heard about the high priesthood of Jesus, we've heard about him passing through the heavens. That's just a way of speaking of his uh, ascension after his death, burial, resurrection, and his time uh, with, with his disciples uh, before um, Pentecost Sunday, right? He's passed through the heavens back to the throne. We've, we've talked a little of that. Um, we've looked at how uh, he has suffered, and, and that's part of him being a high priest. So th- these themes we've seen, but we need them again. We, we really do. And here's my main idea this morning. If you want to write this down or mentally kind of lodge this thought. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we're going to see that word great specifically in the passage before us. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can believe what we believe, I'll explain that, and we can pray with confidence. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can believe what we believe, and we can pray with confidence. So three things we're going to do this morning. First, talk about our great high priest, and then because of who he is, look at believing what we believe, number two, and then number three, praying with confidence. So look, look with me at our, at our passage then this morning again. So verses 14 to 16, what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to reread these verses, but I'm, I'm going to skip the part that tell us what to do. And there's a couple of points that tell us, let us, right, uh, hold fast and, and let us approach with confidence the throne. We will get to those two things. That's number two and three. But I want to read what it says about Jesus as, as our high priest, about our great high priest. So follow along or, or just listen if you'd like. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, a high priest, verse 15, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet one who has been tempted, sorry, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, one who longs to give grace and help and mercy in time of need. So our three verses there extol these remarkable truths about about Jesus as a high priest, and yet our author chose to put the word great at the start of that. I was thinking about this word great, like what, what made him decide at this point to say the word great. Um, if you look back in chapter 2, this is where we first encountered the statement about Jesus being the high priest, uh, we, we had this, verses uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 2. I hear those pages, what a nice sound. I don't hear the digital swipe, but I, I hear the paper. Hebrews two seventeen and 18. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So that was the first time we got language of him as a high priest. And there, our author called him merciful and faithful in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted, similar to our text today. And then chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the second time we encounter the high priesthood of Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, so speaking again of one who is sent, right? The one sent from God the Father to us, and high priest. So there, again, is the one who represents us before God. And there it says, he's the high priest of our confession. Same word we have in our passage today about holding fast to our confession. He's the high priest of that confession, and he was faithful to him who appointed him. And so again, similar repeating ideas. And then now in the passage that I just read, we have our great high priest. So he's merciful, he's faithful, and he's great. And I was thinking about this word, and I can remember as a kid growing up around here in Sonoma County in Northern California, we used to talk kind of funny. One of the things some of us used to say, uh, we would say something like, dude, that's hecka bad, <laughs> or hecka cool. So we would, we would we'd say hecka, or if we were edgy, we'd say hella, but you know, not, not all of us were there. But we, we, would, we would modify things that were bad or cool, and of course bad meant good, and so on. And so, but then I moved to Southern California, and I grew up out of childish things, uh, and then I returned to Northern California in 2003, and people still say hecka. 
as these modifiers to things. Now, I haven't heard it in a long time, so maybe we are outgrowing it here in NorCal, but it's definitely a NorCal thing to, to refer to something as hecka bad or hecka cool. Well, sort of that's what our author is doing. Jesus is a hecka high priest, okay? But he's a great high priest. But it is this modifier, right? He's, he's a high priest, and he's, he's the greater high priest, right? But, but he's great, and, and, and we know it by all the things that he's done, but our author puts that word there. And so, again, in, in a conversation yesterday with someone, again, the words of Scripture, they're not throwaway words. They're, they're not. God, in his wisdom, worked, the Holy Spirit moved all these various writers from Genesis to Revelation, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and all the different genres, based on these human authors' temperament and context to, to write what they wrote. And under the inspiration um, of the Holy Spirit, right? God breathed, the Bible says of itself, our writer said right here, since then we have a great, great high priest. I, I hope we just slow down and, and hang on to that for, for a moment. And for us, it's even more important because high priest language isn't normal stuff for us. We, we don't live in a time when we, we have a high priest. Um, that's definitely not part of our Protestant uh, expression of, of Christianity and, and so forth. And, I mean, we are years and years removed from, from that. Now, there are people still maybe in other traditions that maybe understand priestly language uh, differently, but, but that's, that's different for us. As Protestants, we, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. So uh, Peter makes that clear that every son and daughter, uh, that, that is every Christian man and woman, is, is a priest to our God. And, and so there's no longer special individuals, uh, vocational pastors. Uh, we, we aren't the priests or anything like that. No, we, we are all sons and daughters. We are all priests. We are all members of the body. We have different gifts and different expressions, but no, there, there is one high priest now, and he's a great high priest, but again, it's, 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 it's a removed idea. Now, if you know your Bible, if you've studied especially the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, maybe we, we do know some things or we remember some things. So let me just read what, what one dictionary, Bible dictionary, uh, has to say about the, the high priest role. And it's just good for us to be refreshed, be reminded, or, or at least try to understand a little bit. Because the first recipients of this letter, boy, they knew this stuff. And when the writer talked about the high priest, I mean, they knew, they understood that. It'd be like in our day if we spoke of the chief of police or, or you know, the sheriff or s- some public official. Like, we, we understand that role, the governor, the president, senators, whatnot. So they, they got it, but we're, we're removed. So I hope this is helpful. In the Old Covenant, the position of high priest was preeminent. He oversaw the ritual worship of God and functioned as the main representative between the nation and Yahweh and God. The Old Testament, the the Hebrew scriptures refer to the high priest in various ways uh, as the priest, the anointed priest, the chief priest, and the high priest. And that final designation, we see it in 2 Kings 12, it occurs only at Numbers 35 in, in the Pentateuch. So in the first five books, only once is, is the priest referred to there as uh, the high priest. And that's in Joshua. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, excuse me, Numbers 35. 
once there and then once in Joshua. Otherwise, the references all come later on. The high priesthood was hereditary. And in fact, we will come again back to these truths about high priests because we're going to hear about this other priest called Melchizedek and this mysterious person that Jesus is a priest in the line of. And so we're going to keep learning about the priests and whatnot. However, uh, the high priesthood, the Levitical high priesthood was hereditary, a fact to which the author of Hebrews is going to give extensive attention to uh, in chapter 7. And it was normally intended for life. If you were a high priest, you were the high priest until death. Although the high priest shared a number of duties with the other priests, he alone entered the most holy place on the annual Day of Atonement. So once a year, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies, Leviticus 16. Okay, even though we hear that still, like, boy, what a, what a removed thing that is. As I've said in the past, when we looked at these other passages, the, the high priest's role, summarizing, was to represent the people before God. And so on that Day of Atonement, would, would go in and atone for sins. Uh, but again, the problem was it had to happen every year, and that high priest uh, would die, and someone else would have to become high priest, and not all high priests were that great, and so on. So for, for Jesus, the Son of God, the one who uh, is in fact God, but came in the flesh, who took on flesh, who became the God-man, completely God, completely man, for him to be this great high priest, all of a sudden, it changes everything. And so we have then, um, in, in Jesus, the, these descriptors. So I'm going to just summarize bullet point from what I read in Hebrews 2, Hebrews 3, and then again here in Hebrews 4. So Jesus, our great high priest, he, he was human. He, he was 100% man, and he had to be human. In fact, we'll, we'll see that in, in chapter 5. The high priest had to be one of us if, in fact, the high priest is going to be able to represent us to God. Well, Jesus was completely God. He, he suffered. He suffered. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. He, Jesus was, was merciful. He is merciful, even, even now in his role at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, interceding for us. The scriptures say he does that, that now. Filled with mercy. Not, not irritated that I had to confess something yesterday, and oh, there's Paul again. Guy, I can act that way when people have to confess things to me. Oh, yeah, I'll forgive you. Jesus is merciful. He's faithful. We heard that a couple of times. Faithful, faithful. He, he, he's never faithless. He's always faithful. He made propitiation, that, that phrase again from... Hebrews 2, verse 17. Again, very much a theological Bible word. To propitiate is a word that speaks of Jesus' death. It speaks of um, God's wrath being satisfied. The wrath of God. Another truth in the scriptures. That that God is angry at sin. And sin has to be dealt with. So on the cross, Jesus received the wrath of God for sin. And so... God's wrath was appeased or propitiated. Think of a sponge, one writer says. A sponge, Jesus as a sponge, which soaks up all of the wrath of God so there's none left. 
at the cross, he was cursed with the curse we deserve. Galatians 3 says. Our high priest knows suffering. So we saw that back in chapter 2. Because he suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He knows suffering. And that ties back into him being very much a real human. So I read this a few weeks ago. Let me read it again. Do you ever feel abandoned or lonely? Jesus can relate. He's the man of sorrows, Isaiah 53.3. He was rejected and put to death by his own people. Do you ever feel the grief of losing someone you love? Jesus can relate. John 11.35, he wept at the death of Lazarus. Have you ever been lied about, slandered? Jesus can relate. He was betrayed by a close friend, falsely accused by the priests, ridiculed by soldiers. Have you ever had financial problems, money problems? Jesus was poor, homeless, and had nowhere to lay his head. He was an itinerant rabbi. Have you ever felt misunderstood by a family member? I know none of us ever have that. I know none of us ever do that. Jesus, his own family, they, they thought he had lost his mind. They thought he was crazy at first. Mark 3, verse 21. Do you ever feel highly stressed? Jesus was so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweat drops of blood. Jesus was fully human and he suffered. He, he is in, because of that, even now, he understands, and as, so as our high priest, he can be called our great high priest, who's merciful and who's faithful, who made propitiation on the cross, but he, but he knows suffering. And then again, the word, as I mentioned already, uh, that he now says is that he's, he's great, this great high priest. He's passed through the heavens, as I mentioned, and the writer here, again, these aren't just, you know, poetic, flashy words. It says in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. This is a a flashback to where he started. Like this one is this exalted one who's higher than the angels. Remember the name he was given is higher than the angels' names. Jesus, Yahweh saves. That's what Jesus means. Good to remember that at Christmas time. The, The name that Mary and Joseph were told to name the child as Jesus, Yahweh saves. And, and, and as the son of God, again, that's a, a reference to him being, in fact, God, a, a reference to his deity. Uh, the author is exalting our great high priest. And then, and then we jump forward to verse 15. We, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So to say it in the positive, this great high priest, in fact, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, to sympathize. We, we appreciate it when people sympathize with us when we are struggling. The, the word connotes the idea of being compassionate to the point of helping. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. 
specifically our weaknesses towards sin because the next thing that it says is that in sympathizing with our weaknesses, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Like, like we looked at, I uh, mentioned again a couple weeks ago, the line from Come Thou Fount, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We, we are weak. We are like C.S. Lewis said, people that uh, are content to play in a mud puddle. Like we just think, you know, stuff of the world and sin, like this is the greatest thing, like a little child in a mud puddle who has no idea of the vacation at the ocean that is like right over there. And the analogy Lewis is making is when we are in our sin and just enjoying stuff of this world, we're, it's like a mud puddle compared to life in obedience and in, and in you know, fellowship with God. We, we are tempted, and, and yet we sin. And, and he, in his human life, was tempted like us. And that is just one of those truths that the, the scriptures say over and over, and Hebrews especially makes true, that's really hard for us to grasp. The God-man, the one who, who was God, in being 100% God, 100% man, not 50-50, not schizophrenic, right? He, he was both in his life on earth. He was tempted in every way. Now, no, like he didn't experience, you know, a temptation to, you know, gamble away, you know, that week's money. I mean, like the slots or something like that. There's certain cultural things that, that didn't exist. But, but he knows the big picture kind of concepts of temptation. He knows what it means to be tempted toward pride and tempted toward, toward lust and tempted toward anger, sinful anger, and tempted toward those, those, ev- those emotions that everyone has regardless of where you live, right? We understand that and what time of the world you've lived. He, he understands, he can sympathize, he can have compassion to the point of helping because he has experienced temptation. And of course, the scriptures teach for us, show us in the gospels, the temptation from the enemy, the temptation when he was out in the wilderness 40 days and, and went through the temptation there. Um, and again, his response to Satan, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but his, his response was the word of God. He, he knew the word, and that's how he fought temptation, and that becomes, of course, a model for us. Here's the point. Our great high priest, as, as one of my mentors used to say, what must he be like? Wow. This is, this is the one that we've been singing about this morning. This is the one at this time of year we are celebrating, right? Advent. Advent means coming. We are getting ready to acknowledge the incarnation, his first coming. What must he be like? That he could be the God-man and as man be our great high priest. So the first response is, is worship, doxology. We just, wow, who are you, Jesus? Well, he's our great high priest. And in response to our great high priest, then, we, we have in our text this morning two, two things. So because Jesus is our great high priest, the first thing is we can believe what we believe. So this is how the text puts it. Verse 14, since we have a great high priest, let us hold fast our confession. 
To hold fast simply means to hold on to. It's a word used even in the Bible just of grabbing hold of someone's arm, right? You, you hold fast to someone, you, you grab onto them. But here in our context, uh, we have this elsewhere in the scriptures. It, it's, it's used sort of metaphorically to hold on to uh, the teachings, hold on to the faith. The confession is, is the phrase used here, okay? In Revelation 2.13, it speaks of the church of Pergamum, um, Remaining true, I think it's how the NIV puts it, or holding fast to Jesus' name, uh, as in the churches at Thyatira and Philadelphia, they're as well challenged to remain doctrinally pure, holding fast to the commitments of the Lord. And so here, the way the author puts it is, hold fast our confession. So notice the plurals for a second. Let us hold fast our confession. Now, it's very much personal, right? Our confession that we are to hold fast is definitely something each of us has to hold fast to and believe, but, but there is a sense that this is a corporate thing. This is for the church. God's people are to con- corporately hold fast to uh, our confession, and specifically, it would appear in, in context Really, the confession in mind is on who Jesus is, the high priesthood, this great, merciful, faithful high priest who's propitiated sin, whose name is greater than the name of angels, who's greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than the old covenant. We must hold fast to him, or as I'm calling it, we must and we can, because of him being great, believe what we believe. If all this is true about him, we can believe what we believe, what, what we do confess. So what do we confess besides some of these truths that uh, we see here in Hebrews? Well, we, we, we profess and confess a lot of things, um, but what I want us to do for a moment uh, is take a look at the screens. So uh, we have uh, coming on the screens momentarily. Um, there it is. This is uh, from our statement of faith. So Soma Church Community is part of the Evangelical Free Church of America, EFCA, EV Free, E Free, Free Church. Pick any one of those. And statement number four in our 10-point statement of faith is about Jesus Christ. And so this is what we profess. If you're part of this church, this is our profession, our confession uh, regarding Jesus. So I want us to read this out loud together. Here we go. Ready? We believe that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, fully God and fully man, one person in two natures. Jesus, Israel's promised Messiah, was conceived through the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a sinless life, was crucified under Pontius Pilate, arose bodily from the dead, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father as our high priest and advocate. Let us, church, hold fast our confession. Let us believe what we believe. Amazing truths. And all of that is in the scriptures. We, we have a document, if you're ever interested, it's online. If you go to our About Us page, what we believe, uh, our points are there, but there's a PDF of of our 10-point statement with all the 
scriptures in parentheses, and it's a nice long document. And if you ever want to look up all of the truth there and where it's from, uh, you, can, you can access that. So that's one of the things we believe about Jesus, one, one statement there. But we, we believe a lot of things, and we can believe what we believe because of who Jesus is. It always comes back to Jesus. I was talking recently again with someone about, even in my own life, sometimes the questions I have and, and what, are, what are the differences between you know, questions and doubts and, and, and how do we gauge what that is, which is normal and good. We've got minds. God gave us minds, and we want to reason things and understand. And the life of faith isn't blind faith. It's trust. To have faith is to trust. We have lots of faith. We, we, we should, and it's all because of who God is, who Jesus is, what he's done, not necessarily the, the amount of faith we possess. It's, it's in the object. So, so faith, trust, you got to keep those together. We, we are called to this life of faith and trust. But yeah, like this baby born of a virgin, I mean, that's a miracle. An angel showing up and dreams and, and a couple years later, moving these wise men or magi from the east to make their way. I mean, the Christmas story is loaded with supernatural, miraculous things. God, help us not to let it just become fairy tale like along with other fun fairy tale things this time of year. So I was telling this person, for me, as I started this, I was, wow, how could God do that? You know, why would I, I keep coming back to Jesus? It's for the most part, a matter of historical record, even by non-believers, that some 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish rabbi figure named Jesus of Nazareth who walked and lived and had followers and did miracles. Even people that don't believe he is the son of God, God incarnate, the great high priest, right? That's just a matter of historical record. Very few people anymore think that he didn't live. So it comes back to him. And if we can establish that he lived and he said the things he did and that we can trust Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and, and the way they wrote and the things they put in there and we can, um, we, we, we can build this case, if you will, that it's reliable. And if, and if we can rely on the gospels and Jesus, then the other things start to, for me anyway, fall into line, but it comes back to him. So all of that said, because Jesus is our great high priest church, we can believe what we can believe. And if you've got questions on any of that, man, I'd love to talk. I'd love to recommend resources. But we can believe what we believe. And then finally, the second point in here, the second let us that our text has for us, because Jesus is our great high priest, we can pray with confidence. We can talk to God with confidence. So verse 16, let us then because he's our great high priest, with confidence, draw near. And just listen to what the writer says about drawing near. And it's a picture of drawing near the great high priest who's at the right hand of the Father. Let us draw near the throne, not of anger, but a throne of grace that we may receive not condemnation, not shame, not, not those things that we experience, but again, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
What a picture of prayer. Because Jesus is our great high priest, we can pray with confidence. This, 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 uh, the, the grammatical tense of this idea of drawing near, it's, it's put in such a way, it's in the present tense, that it's the idea of an ongoing aspect of our, of our relationship with God. Let us continue to draw near, like day after day and like hour after hour and like minute after minute. And if you drew near with confidence 20 minutes ago, well, you can draw near again and you ought to. And let us continue to draw near. Let us pray with confidence because Jesus is our high priest. So we can receive grace and help. Who doesn't need grace and help? I mean, if we're honest, we do. We all do. I was reading this week of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. So if you are familiar with that name, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a German pastor and theologian in World War II Germany. Um, And he was very much against Hitler. He was very much part of the German resistance. Uh, He was a seminary professor, uh, a writer, and, um, and he was part of a movement, even um, it seems to be that there was a group that were seeking um, maybe God's blessing in assassinating Hitler. And for a time, Bonhoeffer was part of that, very much uh, a real person uh, with real feelings um, and so forth. Eventually, though, he would be imprisoned for not siding with Nazi Germany and not siding with, his, with, with Hitler. Let me read about this man, and some of you know, know this story. So eventually he had been imprisoned by the Nazis for his role in resisting. And in the final days of the war, Bonhoeffer and his fellow prisoners, they were experiencing a strange mixture of both hope and panic as they would hear of the Allied guns that were going off on the horizon. They were moved from place to place in advance of the American and British forces, and this little group of prisoners was finally brought to a schoolhouse in Schoenberg. Time finally ran out for Bonhoeffer. For Bonhoeffer. An interrogator from Berlin named Hubenkothen arrived with others for Bonhoeffer's immediate trial and execution. On Sunday, the theologian was entreated by his fellow prisoners among them Roman Catholics and even a communist from Russia, to hold a worship service. So Bonhoeffer gave an exposition on Isaiah 53.5, by his wounds we are healed. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The sermon touched the others deeply. Following the message, Bonhoeffer was called out of his cell and transported to Flossenburg, where he was interrogated, tried, and condemned. The next morning, between 5 and 6 o'clock, Bonhoeffer, stripped naked beneath the scaffold, knelt to pray one last time in a woodland spring, and in his final morning meditation, to reach the outside world, the professor had written these words. The key to everything is the in him. All that we may rightly expect from God and ask him for is to be found in Jesus Christ. 
the God of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with what God, as we imagine him, could do and ought to do. If we are to learn what God promises and what he fulfills, we must persevere in quiet meditation on the life, sayings, deeds, sufferings, and death of Jesus. It is certain that we may always live close to God and in the light of his presence, and that such living is an entirely new life for us, that nothing is then impossible for us because all things are possible with God, that no earthly power can touch us without his will, and that danger and distress can only drive us closer to him. It seems Dietrich Bonhoeffer knew these ideas contained here in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Because of the great high priest, he could, as we already looked at, believe what he believed, even though it was going to cost him his life. And he could pray with confidence. And he did those things right up until the end. Of course, we know this true of others in church history, Martin Luther, his famous stand at the Diet of Worms. He believed what he believed and he prayed with confidence that that night prior to saying so that he could draw near with confidence. And, And so for Luther, for Bonhoeffer, they could believe what they believe. They could pray with confidence all because of the great high priest that they knew and this union that existed with, with them and Christ. So that's, that's the question for us. If we are sons and daughters, if we are followers of Jesus, Christians, if we are in him and he is our high priest, if he's our great high priest, who's faithful, who's merciful, who's ready to, to hear us, we, we can believe what we believe. We can, we can believe it and ask questions and have confidence in it. It's the real deal. Jesus is the real one, the real thing. And we can pray. We can pray with confidence. And you have things going on in your life. I have things going on in my life that we must pray for. Only God can do some of the things we need done. And we need to stop trying to do it all on our own. We, we like as Americans to pull our bootstraps up, some of us, right, and, and, and go for it. We, we need to believe and trust in our great high priest. And as we follow his lead, we, we, we do. But it's all in response to him being our great high priest. And sometimes we have to stop trying to do it on our own, stop trying to save ourselves, stop trying to fix ourselves, stop trying to fix this person, change that person's heart, solve this problem, correct this thing in our life, and, and say, I, I will believe what I believe, God, about Jesus, about your sovereignty, about your control in life. I will, I will pray with confidence because you are at the throne as my high priest. You, you long to help and give me grace. I need it. And that's what we do. And that's what this passage this morning is calling us to. Let's live, let's live that out, church. Let us, let us believe what we believe. Let's be a church community that believes this stuff. Let, let us as a church community pray with confidence. And let me just make a plug. We had a great prayer meeting this last Thursday night. Um, I hope you'll try to join us on those first Thursdays. Uh, it's a good time together. Um, and st- I know stuff's going on. Like, it's not a guilt thing. I'm just saying, if, if you're able, it's good to pray together. And so um, let, us, let us pray with confidence because of our great high priest. So would you stand? The kids are running and playing. The sun is out. Thank you, Lord. Too much gray for me the last couple days. Uh, and let's, uh, let's dismiss to...
to go live this out, which is, again, uh, a living out of following our Savior. And actually, since you're standing, I just realized we have communion and we have another song. So I got long-winded today. It's good. The kids went to class late. They're fine. They're having fun. Um, sit back down if you would. I'm sorry. Uh, you just needed to get some blood flowing. So, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28. The Apostle Paul writes this to this church at Corinth, but it's for us as well. So let's hear the word of the Lord again now. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So our great high priest was in fact offering himself and telling his disciples on that night that these elements represent what he was about to do as the great high priest and offering himself. We have a great high priest. So let's take the bread side and let's eat this together. Let's take the cup side and drink together and proclaim his death until he comes. And we say, come Lord Jesus. And now would you stand and pray? And we are going to sing one more song. And parents, if you need to have your kids come with us, that's great. If they're occupied, yelling, having fun, that's great too. But let's pray and let's, let's sing about how much God really loves us, right? Because that's, that's, that's in this text today. This great, faithful, merciful high priest who longs to give help, he loves us. He loves us. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave Jesus because he loves. So let's, let's pray and sing. Father in heaven, we, we are thankful for the throne of grace and our high priest there, Jesus, the great high priest. And so as we've now proclaimed his death, we will do it again and we do pray, come Jesus. And now, because of who you are, may we this week, in the strength you supply, hold fast to this confession, believe what we believe, and may we pray with confidence. We love you. You love us more in Jesus' name.